Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are embarking on a new sermon series starting today. Uh, this sermon series is probably going to take us all the way to the end of the year, so I hope that you'll stay locked in and stay ready to study and to focus on what it means to find grace in the midst of suffering. Uh, because what we find in the book of 1 Peter, in the letter that Peter writes to the churches, we find that one of the things God does is he intentionally walks us through suffering so that we might know the grace God provides to his people through it, and we might find hope in the midst of it. Uh, now, the good thing is, you know, anytime you study a book of the Bible, you want to ask yourself, why was this book written in the first place? Why do we have it? Why did God feel the need to secure for us this letter from Peter that we would now be reading over 2,000 years later? Well, thankfully, Peter tells us why he wrote his letter of 1 Peter, and that we find in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Peter says, um, uh, he says, uh, did I have the right spot? Yes. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So what, Paul, what Peter desires to do in the midst of this letter is to encourage Christians to stand firm in the grace of God. Now, why would that be necessary? Why would that be necessary to stand firm unless we might be prone to not stand firm? See, as Christians, we need to understand that we are prone to despair when suffering comes. That suffering often leads us to run, not to cling to God, but to try and get away from anything that's painful. We run to ease and to comfort. Folks, we love ease and comfort. You love it. You know there's nothing like after a long trip away from home, there is nothing like getting to your own bed, laying down in your own covers, and laying on your own pillows. There's nothing better. It's one of the reasons you go on vacation is so that when you get home, you enjoy it even more. There's something about comfort. There's something about ease that we're drawn to. We understand that. We're human beings. But allowing circumstances to rob us of hope can quickly turn us into living with this present life only in sight. We have to understand that because sin is a real issue, we're prone not to look at anything eternally. We're prone to just see what's right in front of us. Sin can actually cause us to just look at the temporary, the earthly, and it can turn our focus away from anything that God's doing to just the circumstances we're walking through. To address that, Peter points believers to the work of conversion that God brings. The accomplished work of conversion that Christ secures through his death on the cross. And God points us through Peter to the reminder of his glorious and future return. Tom Schreiner is a theologian that I love very much. He was a, a professor at Southern Seminary. And he said this, another way of describing 1 Peter is to say that those who trust and hope in God and in his future reward will have strength to endure whatever comes their way in the present. By reminding us of what Jesus has done and what he's going to do, that's where Christians find hope in the midst of suffering. That will cause us to walk through 
and still have joy no matter what circumstances you face. And what Peter does first, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, yes, it's only two verses, but you know I could preach for days on two verses, but I'm going to try not to. But in 1 Peter 1 and 2, what I believe we see is this. Here is the title for what I want to share with us this morning. The title is Hope for the Chosen. And here's my subtitle. Believers have hope in suffering because we're chosen by God. Woo, now that's some scandalous stuff. You start using words like choosing and people start getting all puffed up a little bit. Let me explain. Now, Peter is, writ is writing this. Most think he's writing it from Rome because he refers to Babylon later on, which was a term that was used often for Rome. And what, what's interesting is God uses Peter writing to the churches to strengthen believers in the midst of persecution. Does anybody find that ironic? That Peter would be the one used by God to proclaim to other Christians to be strong in the midst of tribulation and suffering. I don't know about you, but I remember one distinct biblical account of a person who denied Jesus because he was going through tribulation and suffering. And he was scared of what was going to happen. Wait a second, that was Peter. And now here's Peter, years later, and guess what he's going to say? Have hope. In your suffering. Run to Jesus. Oh, that's interesting to me. What's also interesting to me is Sam and I sat down and talked about these verses, what was it, maybe two weeks ago while we were thinking through this. And I was so confident when I sat down to talk to Sam that I understood these verses and I was just going to lay down some great knowledge and all my, I've talked through this before and I thought, you know, I've got this laid out. I'll be honest with you, brother, as I studied it more, I think I'm wrong with a lot of the stuff I said at that meeting we had. Uh, yeah, you know that. You know anything I say is always tentative until it's been proven otherwise. But I said at that time that I sat down with Sam that I thought the primary audience, the, the primary audience Peter was writing to was the Jewish people because he shares a lot of Old Testament allusions and names. But I, I don't think, I think the primary audience is Gentiles. And I think it because of verse 14. He talks about who he's writing to as he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That doesn't sound so much about how you would describe the Jewish people who had the law and God's word. But then go on to verse 18. He describes the people he's writing to as knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. See, to me, it sounds like he may be describing people who didn't have much of a background with God. But in fact, maybe were more pagan. Than anything else. Now, true, he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. There's no way around that because he's writing to believers. But I do think that the Gentile Christians may have been his primary target. And we'll flesh that out over the course of this study. But let's start in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look, I already spent 10 minutes. We ain't even talked about anything yet. Isn't that great? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Would you stand with me this morning because you love God's word so much you can't help it? 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Heavenly Father, would you point us to hope from these verses? Would you help us to see that no amount of suffering can rob us of the hope we have in you? 
Lord, we thank you for the work of salvation. We thank you for what you've accomplished in us through your son's death, through the spirit's application. Father, by your great plan, we give you praise. Help us to focus our eyes on why we need Jesus and why he is our hero in the midst of suffering. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now I want you to notice we have Peter, right, who he was given that name by Jesus himself. Jesus says he's going to call him Peter, the rock, in John chapter 1, verse 42. So even from the beginning, we know that Peter is, is attached to Jesus and a slave to him. But he even says that. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What's an apostle? An apostle was a sent messenger. But more specifically than that, Peter was a special apostle because he was one of the original 12, the original apostle group. He was one who saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, saw the miracles of Jesus, saw the resurrection of Jesus, saw the ascension of Jesus. Peter was an eyewitness of what Christ did. He was an apostle. He was a, a sent messenger. But he wasn't just an apostle who saw Jesus do things. He's the instrument of God that's used here to bring hope to God's people no matter when and where they're serving. Peter is God's chosen instrument to remind his people of hope in Christ that is secured for them. And I submit to you that 1 Peter is God's gracious message to his exiles. His word to them that they are going to carry through suffering. Because notice, Peter says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And who is he writing to? To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now there's some charged words there. We see the word elect. What does that mean? The word elect means to be chosen or to be selected. What it means to me is it speaks of the grace of God to his people. That this is grace God gives. It's not grace that you earn. If you're a believer today, you're not a believer because you earned it. You're a believer because God gave his grace to you. Amen. Isn't that good? Because yeah. we are some miserable people. Even you really nice, beautiful ladies, we're miserable. We are sinful people. We need God to give grace because if he doesn't, we're not going to be saved. So God is good because he pours out his grace. He gives it. We don't earn it. And it means we belong to God. He paid for us. He chose us. We're his. Aren't you glad that you belong to God? You're his. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the price of Jesus, his own blood. And he is our king. And that means we are his subjects. See, in the choosing of God, it's actually meant to be a great help to you and a great comfort to you as a Christian to know that you belong to God. What do you have to fear? Folks, as Christians in the room, what do we have to fear that comes in this world if we belong to God? If we're his people. That means his grace has been given to us. And listen, I know the debate about election goes through churches. It splits churches. We get really fired up over it. And I admit, there are some debates that take place within that doctrine of election that are important to have. But one thing you cannot do as a Christian, you cannot reject the doctrine of election. You may have debates about what it means. You can't reject it. You know why? Because it's in the Bible. You have to come up with another word in this verse if you're going to reject it. We can debate on what it means, but you have to believe that election is a biblical doctrine. Otherwise, you have to rip 1 Peter out of your Bible, along with others. It's clearly taught, 
and it's meant to be a comfort to us. Now, notice he says that we are chosen exiles, which is a word that means strangers or foreigners or aliens. What does exile bring to your mind? When you think of the word exile, what do you think of? Babylonian captivity? You think of Old Testament Israel, don't you? Being taken into exile because they had rebelled against God. I think that's intentional. And if you think about it, if Gentiles are the primary audience that Peter's writing to, isn't it interesting that he would call them exiles? Wait, I thought that was just Israel that were exiles. See, Peter's got to be talking about something much more than just being geographically away from your home. He must be talking about exiles in a different way. Well, what way might Peter mean that we are elect or chosen exiles? This is not our home. Right? We're just passing through. What's that? Yes, yeah, sojourners. We, we don't belong here. We're here. But this isn't our primary citizenship. That we are aliens or foreigners. And what that means is that we are spiritually a part of another kingdom. We might be here physically, but spiritually we belong to another. See, believers are God's pilgrims living in this world, driven by hope as strangers, but we're strangers bound for a greater land. And it's meant to give you hope in the midst of suffering. How would that bring you hope? Well, it reminds us that nothing in this life can keep us from arriving at home. We're bound for it because God promises he'll do it. We see this even in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. After, after the author of Hebrews shares with us all, all these great titans of the faith, all of these like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those who laid their lives out in faith to God. And Moses, he says this in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. On the earth. When we realize that we see God's promises, you see them? God's promises of what He's gonna do, how He's gonna come again, how He's gonna set up His kingdom. You see it from afar off, and He says, You greet it, knowing that you're living as a stranger in this land. See, in order to walk with hope in this life, in order to truly have hope in this life, your eyes have to be fixed on the kingdom. That which is to come, because that turns your eyes away just from the temporary that is one day going to be gone to the full fulfillment of what God has promised will be eternally true. Notice he says, you're elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, when Sam and I sat down to talk about these verses, I thought I had the answer real quick. Oh, well, that's Acts chapter 8 talk. Remember in Acts chapter 8, the church is expelled, right? The Christians are scattered from Jerusalem because of persecution. Right? They were dispersed. And I told Sam, I was like, well, that's what that's talking about. The, the exiles of the dispersion would obviously be talking about what happened in Acts chapter 8 because I'm so smart and I've got it all figured out. Until you realize that the word dispersion is actually used earlier. It's used in John chapter 7, verse 35. And do you know what it was meant to refer to then? Dispersion was a word that was used by the Jews to reference their being scattered through the Roman Empire. That they had been scattered as the people of God into all the different areas of the Roman Empire. 
We see it again in James chapter 1, verse 1. Now again, this is interesting if Peter is writing primarily to Gentiles because why would they be included in the dispersion? I thought that was a Jewish thing. It's almost like God is trying to say through Peter that Jews and, and Gentiles as Christians are together in the same situation. Regardless of their geographical background, their ancestry, guess what? Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians both have to suffer in this life. They're both living as elect exiles scattered throughout the known world. It's meant to be a comfort because it means we're not alone. We're not dividing ourselves up into camps. We're Christians. We're together in this life to walk and to suffer and to strive after righteousness. It seems to me that Peter is referring to the fact that Gentiles have been included in the redemptive story of God. That's been unveiled from the, throughout the scriptures. And now Jewish and Gentile believers alike live as outcasts in this world, experiencing suffering for bearing the name of Jesus and trusting that he alone brings hope to his people to suffer well in this life. Let me ask you, so how does God bring hope to his people then? Glad you asked. I have three points. We have hope as believers, number one, because believers are chosen according to God's plan. Look at verse 2. He's writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion in the cities and the areas he mentioned, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does that mean, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father? Well, it means God foreknew his people. Thank you. You're welcome. And while that can refer to the fact that God knows things that we will say and do in the future, I think it's far more reaching than that. While it means God does know the future and what will happen, in the context of 1 Peter, I think he's saying something more. Because the context of 1 Peter points to God for knowing his people. We see that even if you scroll down to verses 18, 19, and 20. Because one thing you notice is that Peter says that the Father foreknew Jesus. Well, I don't think he meant that the Father just simply knew what Jesus was going to come and do. I think that meant that there was a plan, and God had appointed that plan. The Father had appointed it, and he knew, foreknew his Son who would come and accomplish his plan. It's speaking of relationship. Not just that he knows what is going to take place, but that there is a relationship between the Father and the Son. And what's interesting is, as God foreknew Jesus... His son, he also foreknew us, his people. And if it means relationship with Jesus, that the father foreknew the son, then it must mean relationship with us too. See, the good news is God doesn't just foreknow what you're going to do. God foreknows you. That means relationship with you. That means that we as believers today have experienced covenantal love from God. That's covenant talk. That's relationship talk. That's something that God does. And this relational love is brought to us by God's grace. See, this is where hope and comfort come from. The knowledge that we belong to God who has shown his amazing love to us through the salvation that he has brought. Because here's what I want you to understand. God's foreknowledge is not passive. It's not him sitting back knowing things. Not simply that. It's active. 
God's foreknowing is his active, creative, willing things to be. That means that the covenantal relationship that we have with God was initiated and accomplished by God. You are chosen according to God's plan. Well, that's good news. Because when you get that terrible diagnosis from the doctor, it's helpful to know and to have hope knowing that God's covenantal love has been poured out on you. You are in relationship with him and no cancer diagnosis or financial problem or children problem can ever take that away. It doesn't eliminate it. There's hope as a Christian in suffering. You know why? Because you are chosen by God. You're his, and you were chosen according to his plan. Yeah. He's not thrown it together last minute. He foreknew his son before the foundation of the world. He's had this in his hands the whole time. Right. See, we start, I start stressing out as a pastor because I see the difficulties we walk through as a church, and I start going, oh, no, oh, no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And God's sitting there going, I know what's going to happen. I've already planned it. Yeah. Calm down. I got this. You don't... That brings hope to me. It brings hope to me because I know then that there is a plan that God has put together. He's going to accomplish his plan, and that plan includes his covenantal love for me as his people, yeah. right, as his child. So we have hope as believers because we're chosen according to God's plan. That's good news to Christians who are suffering. Number two, we have hope as Christians, as believers, because believers are chosen to be set apart for God. Notice what he says. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is often used to describe the progressive work of God of making us look more and more like Jesus every day, right? We call that progressive sanctification. But I think I agree with Tom Schreiner when he says that all of these descriptors seem to be talking about the time of conversion when you become a Christian. I had to think about that for a second because I'm so used to sanctification being the progressive work of God of making us look more like Jesus every day. But think about this. In conversion, God sanctifies us. What's the word sanctify mean? Set apart to make holy. See, there is something definitive that happens when you trust in Jesus. When you become a Christian, something definitive happens. You know what it is? You are sanctified. You are sanctified by the Spirit. You are set apart. You are made holy. You know what that means? It means when you stand before God, He views you as holy. Woo! I'm telling you, have you seen my life? And God's going to look at me and He says... the. When he rescues my heart, changes me, saves me, now all of a sudden when I stand before him, he goes, holy. That's good, amazing grace. And that's going to keep you walking through suffering. That's going to keep you hopeful and joyful no matter what comes down the path. You know why? Because God has done something in you as a believer. He doesn't just know you. He hasn't just poured his covenantal love out on you. He's also made you holy and distinct and separate. And who have you been set apart for? You've been set apart for him. That as a Christian, you have been dedicated to God. You're his. 
and your life is meant to be lived as a devotion to him. So you can do that no matter what. And you, we go, okay, yeah, if things go well, I'll do that. No, that devotion to God, that dedication is with us no matter what circumstances we walk through. Are you having a tough week? Guess what? You're still set apart for God. Having a great week? Guess what? You're still set apart for God. Having a neutral week? You're not sure how it's going to go? Guess what? You're still set apart for God. You're his. He's declared you holy because of the work of Jesus on your behalf. You've been sanctified, set apart. For God. Oh, what a beautiful gift of God that in conversion he made us holy. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That is finished work. You have been delivered. You have been transferred. Now, is he still making you look more like Jesus every day? You better believe it, but don't ever forget that the moment your heart is changed, and you are rescued by the king of all creation, you are now set apart for him forever. You are distinct. You belong to him. That's what brings hope in the midst of suffering because nobody can take that from you. Number three, we have hope because believers are chosen to obedience and cleansing. Now, again, the first two, I believe, are dealing with conversion, so it would make sense that the third would also be dealing with conversion as well. But what does it mean that you had been chosen to obedience to Jesus? That sounds like what just happens as you live your daily life. But I think there's more to it than that. One of the things that Tom Schreiner points out is that the sprinkling of blood, what does that remind you of? What would the idea of sprinkling of blood lead you to? Say that again. Passover? Yeah. And what was the sprinkling of blood supposed to be a picture of? You're right. Cleansing, covering, sacrifice, right? That somebody else or something else took your place. Now, what's interesting is in Exodus chapter 24, you have the inauguration of the covenant with Moses and the people. And in Exodus chapter 24, we're told that there are things that happen around this inauguration of the covenant, right? God's relationship with his people. And I want to point these out to you real quick. You ready? I'll read it to you. If you don't want to turn to it, I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 24, this is the covenant God enters into with his people. It says, then he said to Moses, meaning God, come up to the Lord and you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. And a Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So at the inauguration, this covenant ceremony where God is 
is inaugurating his relationship with the people and showing his commitment to them, guess what they do? They commit themselves that they will obey what the Lord has said. Guess what we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2? That when we trust in Jesus, when we are converted, when God saves us, one of the aspects of that is that we pledge that we will obey what God has said. We pledge our obedience to the truth. It's what we do. I don't know if you realize that's what you were doing, but when you trusted in Jesus, that's what you were agreeing to, that you were going to submit to obedience to the way God has said you should live. You're going to follow his commandments. So we see that the people of God pledge their allegiance to him and to what he has said. But then notice what he says in verse 8. I'll read it to you again. Right after that, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the people pledge to be obedient to what God has said, and then Moses sprinkles blood on them as a symbol of cleansing, forgiveness of sin, atonement, covering of sin. It's all part of that covenant ceremony. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Peter says that as believers, that you have been called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, that as a Christian you have pledged your obedience to him and for sprinkling with his blood. This is covenant talk. This is covenant language. This is what God accomplishes. This is what it means to be chosen by God. That he initiates the relationship and he secures it by his own work. See, because God knew that we would fail. God knew we wouldn't hold up our end of the bargain. So what did he do? He sent his own son in the likeness of man. That finally there would be somebody who could hold up both God's end of the covenant and ours too. So that we would never be separated from him again. That the curse would be paid for. And we would know only blessing and hope and grace. See, I think what Peter is doing is reminding the Christians, you are in covenantal relationship with God. You are his chosen people. Have hope because he has secured you. Folks, I can't give you much else than to say, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have hope. You have hope in this life. Not because of what you can do by your own hands. You and I have hope in God because he has chosen us to be his people. And he does not unadopt his children. See, I think Peter clearly communicates throughout this letter he writes that it's by Jesus' sacrifice, by his sprinkling of blood, that we as believers are the elect exiles or pilgrims of God in this world. So... We enter into this covenant by declaring our obedience to the gospel and through the sprinkled blood of Jesus for our cleansing. And I want to point out one last thing. You know how committed God is to this work of redemption? You know how committed he is to accomplishing his purposes of rescuing his people? What we find in 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 2 is that the entire Godhead is a part of it. You have Father, Spirit, and Son all working to accomplish the salvation and rescue of God's people. 
That's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves is he would give everything of himself that you might be his. Oh, that's glorious news in a world of, filled with people who are ready to turn their back on us the moment we do anything wrong, the moment we disappoint them. They're so quick to turn, be ugly and nasty. Isn't it great to know that in this life we have hope because we have a father who loves us and has poured out his covenantal love over us in making us his people? Isn't it good to know that we've been set apart, made holy by the Holy Spirit himself to make us new and to make us his and to live distinctly in a world that doesn't love or honor God? Isn't it good news to know that we have cleansing, that we have rescue because Jesus sprinkled his own blood and he didn't just sprinkle it, he poured it all out so that we might be forgiven, so that we would obey what he said, give him glory and we do it most when suffering Suffering comes. It's hard to obey. It's hard to obey when everything's going wrong. But that's when we glorify God the most is when we cling to him and we hope. We don't just go through it miserably. We tell people that there is hope in us that can't be explained by our strength and power. It's only the hope that God can give. It's only the hope that he has secured in you as his people. God has chosen you. Have hope. See, the rest of 1 Peter, we're going to unpack this because it gets even better. Peter's going, to, Peter's going to walk us down a path that's going to put you face to face with Jesus over and over again. I'm telling you, is there anything better? Church, for where we are right now as a church, is there anything better for us than to be reminded that we are God's people with his covenant love poured out for us and we've been set apart for him? We're distinct for his glory that he is leading us in obedience to him because we've been cleansed by Jesus. Is there anything we need to hear more than we are God's people? We're pilgrims living in this life. We're going to walk through some terrible things, but guess what? We have hope because we belong to God. Church, have joy. Have joy. This is the good news of God's word, and this is what we need more than anything. Folks, being religious won't cut it. Being religious will not bring you hope. What you need is Jesus. The rescue only he can provide. And this morning, if you've been hoping all your life that being good and going to church and doing good things, if you've been hoping that that will bring you the satisfaction you so long for, I hate to break it to you, it is a fleeting desire. It will never be accomplished. And instead, what you need this morning is to realize that Jesus already accomplished it for you. Right. So run to him. Yes. Christians, are you struggling with hope? Has your hope been challenged recently? I imagine for some of you, it hasn't just been challenged. I imagine it's... I want to point you back to the good news. That God has poured his love out on you. You're his people. There is hope. Cling to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that from your word we can be reminded of the great hope that we have. God, it's the hope that one day we're going to be in your presence and we're going to see glory unmatched. <laughs> Father, that one day you're going to present us perfect. No more sin and shame. No more weeping and tears. 
And God, we long for that day. But until that day comes, Father, we walk as pilgrims in this world. We are your children, serving you, following you, clinging to you, trusting you. Father, we're doing this because you have chosen us. You've rescued us for your glory. Oh, Lord, I pray this morning that you would capture the hearts of the people in this room. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's been hoping to be good in a way that would allow you to forgive them, Father, would you help them to see that they can never earn salvation? They can never earn forgiveness. Father, instead, would you show them that it is by your son's blood, by his sacrifice that we are healed, that we find new life. So, Father, would you draw them to yourself? Would you break down every idol and stronghold? God, would you show them that they need Jesus and Jesus alone? Father, they might fall before you, confess their sin, and find the forgiveness they've so desperately wanted. And Father, for us as Christians, give us hope. God, give us hope in a world that seeks to beat us down, to ostracize us, to stress us out. God, give us hope, knowing that we are yours and we belong to you. And what in this world could ever separate us from the love of Jesus? Oh, Father, would you remind us once again that you are our rock. You are our refuge. To you we run. Give us hope as Christians that no matter what we face in our individual lives or as a church, God, we are yours. We offer our lives as sacrifices, living sacrifices for you. God, use us for your glory. Father, would you work in this church by your Spirit's power? Holy Spirit, would you take the words that we've read and studied and would you apply them to our hearts and would you convict us of sin and root out all evil and help us to love and adore Jesus and Lord Jesus we give you praise you're the king you're the one we adore you've bled and died but you've also rose again and you've promised your coming Father we echo what you tell us in your word that at the return of Jesus, there'll be no more sorrow and pain, no more strife and war. And so we pray, God, Lord, come quickly. We ask you to do this so that you might receive more praise and honor and worship. Lord, work in the hearts of your people today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with us. We're going to sing. Whatever you need to pray about, whether it's in your seat or if I can pray for you, whether it's about turning to Jesus or maybe there's something in your life that is robbing you of hope and you need to run to Christ and lay it before him, I'm happy to pray with you. If you have questions about what it means to pursue Jesus and to follow after him, I'm happy to stick around and talk with you. But in this moment, don't walk out the same way you walked in. Amen. Respond to God today. Let's Amen. Respond. We're going to sing a very familiar song in the heart of worship. The chorus goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Folks, this morning it is about Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's not about what we can accomplish. It's about the grace of God rescuing sinners bound for hell. So let's sing with that in mind this morning that we have been saved. We've been snatched from the depths. We've been carried by Christ.
and to salvation. Let's sing together this morning. Jose's going to lead us. When the music fades, all it strips away, and I simply come, longing just to breathe something that is worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song For the song it itself Is not what you have required You search my deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my Coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, and it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made, and it's all about you, and it's all about you. of endless world no one could express how much you deserve through a weak and poor all I have is yours every single breath I'm being song it itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. Oh Lord, I'm coming back. I'm coming back Coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, and it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made, and it's all about you, and it's all about you. Remember, our offering is actually a time of worship. It's meant to be a time where we express to God. Matt, if you want to come help out too, that'd be great. 
Um, it's a time where we get to express that we love God more than we love our stuff. And so we're willing to give up whatever we have for the glory of God. So this morning, would you pray with me that what we do in this moment is actually worship? Heavenly Father, we come to give this morning because you've already given everything to us. And so, Father, this is just a small token of our adoration of you. And, Father, I pray that you'd help us to give generously, and I pray that you'd help us give sacrificially, trusting in you that you're going to take care of us. Father, we give this morning because we don't need this stuff to make us happy. We give this this morning to, de to declare that you alone make us happy. And, Father, we give it all willingly for your glory. Help us to do it with right hearts. Help us to do it as an act of worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. song, but watch out, I'm going to sing that thing one day. Um, anyways, thank you guys for being here. If you've enjoyed the service, would you say amen? amen. 
So good to see you guys. So glad you're here. Don't forget, we're going to have a really, really, really quick members meeting after church is over just to hand out the financials, to answer any questions. should only take about five minutes, but if you'll stick around, we'll break from service, talk to each other, say hi, uh, and then come back in about three or four minutes and have a quick members meeting. So just uh, know that that's coming. Um, don't forget, Margaret Lackey's state missions offering. We're still taking that up. Um, uh, you can continue to give over the next few weeks if you wish to. Um, we'll continue to take it up, but just know if you would give generously uh, to that, that goes to support missionaries and ministers who are serving here in the state of Mississippi, including our own Sam uh, Henderson uh, and Natalie. As they get ready to plant, they're going to be recipients of that, and so give generously if you don't mind. That helps to start new works and to see ministries supported, so I hope that you'll do that. Um, don't forget, small group tonight, Miss Linda's house at 6 o'clock. We'll see you there. We'll have a great time together, have fun, uh, and also senior adult gathering. Uh, Thursday, October the 6th at 10.30. Senior adults, I hope that you'll come ready to spend some time singing together, eating together, having a great time in worship. Uh, some of you don't consider yourself seniors, but you are. Y'all need to come anyways, all right? Don't, don't, don't think you're excluded. Y'all need to be there. It's going to be Thursday, October the 6th at 10.30. Hope you'll be there for that. Uh, is there any other announcement needs to be made before I do my last thing? Miss Nell. Okay, so Ms. Dotley said they're doing okay. Brother Dotley's been diagnosed with Parkinson's, and so they're hoping that the medicine will help, uh, but he needs some strength to be able to hopefully get through that medicine without many complications, so. Yes. Pray for them as they try to find a church home. Yes, yes. Well, we're a special breed. There's only, there's only one Fairhaven. Um, okay, thank you so much for sharing that. Next Saturday is our men's breakfast. Next Saturday, 8 o'clock. Here in the Fellowship Hall, men, next Saturday, 8 o'clock. Be here for our men's breakfast. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ken and Sharon Johnson say hello. Thank you for sharing that. All right. One last thing I'm going to do. Uh, Sam and Natalie are about to embark on... One of the most stressful things you can do as a minister and as a minister's wife, um, when you do church planting, uh, you, you kind of get run through the ringer when you're a church planter. Um, and one of the things that they're going to be doing is Sam and Natalie are actually going to be heading this evening uh, to Clinton, where they are going to be taking part starting tomorrow morning in an assessment. It's a church planting assessment where they kind of walk you through questions and they kind of examine your life and it can be a it can be an intense thing because your life is exposed and open and and it's all meant to encourage them and to get them ready for what they're going to do when they start their church next year um, but it can also be a very stressful time uh, not only because they have to leave their kids behind for a couple days although you may be terribly excited about that um, but it's 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 hard to have your life examined and to to have your to have spiritual questions asked and emotional questions asked, it can be a real it can run you through the ringer pretty good. Uh, I want to pray for them because the desire to start a new church that's not a small thing. That's a God sized desire and calling. That's a big deal. At one point, people decided they wanted to start a church here at Fairhaven, and it was hard work. Started with a few and had to grow. It was hard, laborious work. And what Sam and Natalie are going to be doing in the next year is going to be very difficult. It's going to be very stressful. It's going to tax them. And we want to pray for them. 
not only for this weekend, but for what God's going to expose over this weekend that will help them to church plant better. Um, and so I want to pray for them. Um, leaders, any of our leaders, if you guys want to come up and, and lay hands on them and pray with them, I'd be fine with that. Anybody who wants to come do that, you don't have to. You can stay in your seat. It's not, not mandatory, but if you want to come pray with them, I certainly want to allow you to do that. Um, but if you, we just want to pray for them that over the next couple of days, instead of the stress and worry and anxiety, instead maybe they'll get to experience the joy of knowing that God is solidifying this calling in their lives. Uh, so I want you to pray for them starting tomorrow morning all the way through Tuesday that God might just use this as a time to help them and encourage them and that when they get back, you as a church are ready to encourage them as well. That as they get ready to set out on this important endeavor that God might be glorified as new work starts. So would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I love you. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in Sam and in Natalie and in their family. God, you've brought them a long way, God. And you've brought them into our family, our cuckoo family. You've brought them in and you've allowed them to be a part of it. And Father, I pray what they know more than anything is how much they are loved. God, that not only is your love on them, but God, our church's love is on them. We're a family. And Father, I pray that what they might remember over the next couple of days is while it's stressful and it's hard, God, I pray that you might use it as a time of immense joy. Unite Sam and Natalie together as a team, as partners in ministry. God, that you might just solidify the vision you've given, the calling. God, I pray that they just might seek you. That, Father, that this weekend would be a time where, where God, they might learn more about themselves and how you're going to use them. Father, help them to know how to continue to improve and get better. Lord, I just pray that whatever you do in this time, that you might make it an encouraging time for them. Father, they would come back from this time of assessment charged up and ready to attack this world with the gospel. God, and for the new church they're going to start, that's just a thought in their heads right now. God, I look forward to what you're going to do in the future. God, I pray that many countless people will hear the gospel through their church. Many countless souls will be saved because of the ministry they do. That you might change our community by using them in this new work. Father, prepare the field, get it ready, and Father, prepare their hearts to be ready to do it. Amen. Lord, encourage them, strengthen them, use them for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys very, very much. Um, before we close, I want to give a little benediction over us and, and get us encouraged to walk out these doors after we have our members meeting. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, and I'm going to close us through this uh, benediction that we have, uh, and then we will spend time for just a few minutes seeing each other and greeting one another, and then we'll come back together for our meeting. But according to 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Let's sing together as we close. Praise God.